0: Hello, med students. My name is Zach Olson, and thank you for downloading this week's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. This week, tips number 16 through 20 on how to crush your slow. So last week, we talked about tips for when you're taking the history from the patient. So a natural progression from that. This week, it's all about exam. This one is also incredibly important. It is so high yield. Five tips on how to perform an exam that leads to a great slow. Let's get going. Let's not waste any time here. Tip number 16, the vital signs. And You're like, yeah, 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 the vital signs are vital, yada, yada. No, I want to draw your attention to two specific vital signs, the heart rate and the respiratory rate. And here is where you are going to really impress your attendings. When you do your exam, just double check the heart rate and the respiratory rate. The heart rate, you can just count out for like 10 seconds and multiply it out. That's fine. And the respiratory rate, you don't even count it. You just eyeball it. But actually look at that respiratory rate with intention. And if it's fast looking, then count it out. And I know that you were probably taught to kind of like hide when you were counting their respiratory rate so that they don't change it up on you. But I'm totally fine if you just watch them breathe for a minute awkwardly, if they're breathing really fast, because people that are truly tachypnic, it's like a bodily thing. And that bodily response, they aren't able to like intellectually slow down their respiratory rate for more than a few seconds. And here's why heart rate and respiratory rate are so important because we get these triage vital signs recorded in the chart. And first, let me start off with heart rate. People are walking in, they're all amped up, they're coming to the emergency department, heart rate of 109, tachycardia. In my experience, that is almost never an accurate heart rate. And so if you see that that triage vital sign of like 108, 109, you're not doing your job if you haven't rechecked it while they are at rest in the room. And it'll be 88 or something. You get that false positive tachycardia effect from the triage process and any good attending is going to address that heart rate in their chart at some point. So you're going to look like a baller if you present your case and you get to the vitals and you say, quote, I know that that patient had a heart rate of 111 in triage. I checked it again. It's actually only 70. I'm not too concerned about that anymore. That's not what it is now. Your attending is going to be like, wow, that's amazing because it's like three levels of vital sign interpretation. It's very advanced. You identified and realized that an abnormal set of an abnormal heart rate is like incredibly important to the case. You showed initiative in rechecking it without having to be asked. And, and also, I will say now they don't have to. And you identify that the set is normal now. Rock star. Very, very good. And it's the same thing with tachypnea, only it's like the exact opposite situation. The number of times I've seen a respiratory rate of 16 or 18 recorded in the chart and I count it out and it's like 28 is every shift. Don't use the monitor to check your respiratory rate. Again, I want you to eyeball it. The patient should pause for a second after exhaling before taking their next breath. That's like normal breathing. And so let me, let me do it really kind of obnoxiously, but let me show you what 20 respirations a minute sounds like. I'm going to kind of do it for you. You can do it yourself. I'm going to pull out a timer here. All right. Are you ready? Here it goes. I can almost not even go at 20. That's how fast 20 is. Now, most people are not even breathing at 20 times a minute. Most people, you should hear that kind of pause after they exhale. It'll be like, <sighs> that's normal. Again, 20 times a minute, which is kind of your a cutoff. <sighs> All right, so you can totally eyeball it, but you'll notice you you can't really force yourself. If you're breathing that fast, you're not going to be able to force yourself to breathe slow just for even more than a few seconds. Count out that respiratory rate. Look at them. Say yes or no. Are they breathing faster than what I was just doing? And then put it in your presentation right where it usually goes before your exam. And here's why. When you find a patient and the respiratory rate is 16 in the chart, and you say it in your presentation, it's actually 24. And you say, you know, it's actually 24. He's definitely short of breath. That's actually a very great, and it's a subtle pickup. And it shows, again, multiple levels of emergency medicine understanding that you picked up the false negative tachypnea from triage, that you counted it yourself, and that you recognize that tachypnea is important. This is like great med studenting. And again, don't, you don't need to make this too complicated. It doesn't have to be like, you're just eyeballing it. And if they're fast, you can literally just stare at them and let them count it out because tachypnick people stay Kipnik. So, you know, count it out for 30 seconds, times it by two, you'll get the real number. Plus, many truly tachypnic people, if they're like yeah, actually short of breath and tachypnic, they're not going to notice or care that you're counting the respiratory rate at all. Again, they have, they have kind of, you know, issues going on with them and they're just kind of in distress. So do it. I am telling you, recheck that heart rate, recheck that respiratory rate. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Recheck them. Let's move on. That's a good tip though. Tip number 17 examine the complaint for the love of God. Examine the complaint, especially the neurologic exam. That's the one that you guys always miss. It's one of the biggest mistakes I see, actually. This is classic. And, and in fact, I, I think I will go so far to stay, and I've, I've worked with med students in residency and now as an attending, I have never had a student come up to me during a clerkship where the first time they presented a neuro exam, I didn't have to prompt them to do a better neurologic exam the next time. And it's super annoying. And, and PAs and NPs, you guys do the exact same thing frequently. When I'm supervising you guys, you gotta examine the complaint, especially neuro. The biggest one is definitely neuro. So, headache paresthesias, dizziness, asymptomatic hypertension, seizures, visual blurriness, whatever. These are all incredibly common complaints that all need a solid neuro exam. The default exam that you have preset that just auto populates into the computer, it doesn't cut it on all of these patients. And, And maybe I forget to document it every once in a while, but I like, I will always have done a legit good neuro exam just by practice. So, like, let me give you an example of the stuff that you guys are missing. You guys are always missing cerebellar testing. Finger to nose, heel to shin, and if appropriate and possible, ideally, like, a gait. Like, walk them and see how they walk. If they can't walk, at least see if they can sit up in bed independently and check for, you know, truncal ataxia. You also miss visual fields a lot. You miss reflexes a lot. And no, it is not okay. Despite what your attendings have told you, it is not okay that you use your stethoscope. Use a real reflex hammer. They are not that expensive. You want one that has some girth to it. I can give you a million reasons why you should be using a reflex hammer. Just like using the language line, even if there is, you know, some family translator that kind of can get the job done. You miss Subtle shit when you do that stuff. You, you cut that corner, and if there is something subtle going on, frequently you will miss it. Because you need to consistently get solid reflexes every time, frequently through a layer of clothing. Because you are, just, if you don't, you are just destroying your clinical sensitivity for hyporeflexia, period. Yeah, I mean, prove me wrong. You need a reflex hammer, a hammer, and a penlight, and scissors are the only tools I have on my person at all times on a shift. It is that important. Actually, that's a lie. I think a good case can be made that you should have calipers with you too, and I do have a set that I carry with me. It's nice. It's not necessarily required for EKGs, but a good set of calipers are a a really easy way to measure things, like measure lax. And it also lets you test for two-point discrimination in hand injuries, which again, you know, hand complaints would be another example of this. If someone has like a hand laceration, you need to be testing two-point discrimination. You need to be making sure that every one of those joints can move and really like taking a close look at it you know, things like this, this is huge medical malpractice risk. So, you know, again, it's like with the calipers, like you, you, you use the right equipment the first time, but again, it's not just neuro exam. It's not just the hand exam that you guys slack on. Uh, you need to do a good exam of whatever the core area of concern is back pain. Well, you should be doing a straight leg raise, a cross straight leg raise, Achilles patellar reflexes, at least the patellar reflexes. Again, good luck getting that Achilles reflex with a stethoscope, you guys. But I think you have the point. You just, tip number 17, you need to examine the area well. And I do do this by practice, even if I sometimes forget to record it in my chart, you got to examine the area well. And tip number uh, 18 now is this is going to be probably, I might regret saying this. I think I'm going to still leave it is getting a stool samples. Now I don't want you to get carried away here. Obviously you should not be getting stool samples on all comers to the ED. That would be strange and you'll probably end up on the national news in a few years. And you just really have to be careful these days because if you do an exam that was maybe not required, I could actually see it potentially hurting your slow or making your attendings think like, what the heck? That was really weird. That guy's weird. But there are a list of scenarios. I the reason I'm leaving in, there are a list of scenarios that almost universally need a rectal exam and a stool sample. So syncope in older adults is a big one that can sometimes get missed. They need their stool tested for blood on one of those guaiac cards in the ED, they're called. Anytime somebody has like abdominal pain or epigastric pain, you need to be asking about kind of what color their stool is, if they have stool changes. And if they say their poop is either like reddish or blackish, you probably should be guaiac sampling that to see if they're having something like a bleeding ulcer. Another one is if you see a big drop in a patient's like hemoglobin on your labs and all of a sudden it's like three points lower from the the time they were here a week ago and you can't find any source on exam of anemia, you probably should be checking their stool for blood in most cases. If they come in for rectal bleeding, this goes back to our last point, you know, you have to actually do a rectal exam because they're bleeding from their rectum. So, you know, looking for hemorrhoids, seeing how that stool looks, that type of thing. That's again, part of that focused exam we discussed at the last point. Just, you have to be careful with this one. I don't, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to regret saying this eventually, but this is a trick that I do believe that if you, if you perform it selectively, maybe once or twice during your rotation, when the scenario is totally clear cut and you didn't have to be asked, I think it's going to, help you. And if you aren't comfortable with this, just articulate that to your attending on your presentation. Say, you know, quote, I know that this patient probably needs a rectal exam because they're elderly and they had an episode of syncope. I put some lube and a quiet card next to the bed. I wasn't sure if I was allowed to do that on my own or not. I think that's a reasonable, maybe like other way of doing this. Feel it out. Again, you have to be smart with this. Let me be very clear. Things like, Pelvic exams, rectal exams, genital urinary exams, you should not be doing these instead of your attending. That's actually not kosher at all. That's that's not how it works. But I think something like a guaiac card, if I'm really busy and, you know, I think that a Gwai- doing a guaiac card is straightforward enough that if you get a solid stool sample as, you know, a med student and you swipe it on the card and you do it and it doesn't turn blue, I think I would, ass- I would trust your assessment of that. But... To be honest, it's it's just really helpful and it's good patient care to do an appropriate thorough exam as soon as possible up front, um, usually with a chaperone, unless it's a pelvic exam, which you should like always be doing with your attending. But you know things like this, doing a thorough exam and knowing like even the dirty tasks that need to be done, that's hard. It, it's good because it keeps the department moving and if you do part of this and you present it on on your history your presentation you know it's up to me to repeat what i need to repeat and it's up to you to not do sensitive exams if you're at all concerned that it might not be appropriate or you're getting weird vibes from the patient or that your attending will disapprove. Maybe just articulate that it still needs to be done when you give your presentation. But if you demonstrate, I just want you to demonstrate that you are willing to do your part and that you know what needs to be done. Because things like guaiac exams, it never, you guys never put it in your presentation and it's so important sometimes. That I think it just really helps out. It shows that you're smart. I just think it's good patient care. Just you know, use your brain though. Again, things like elderly syncope, acute anemia without a source, abdominal pain, complaining of dark stools, and you know the complaint of like a GI bleed. You you should be doing a rectal exam and doing that guaya card which for the record, a guaiac card. So it like turns blue if you smear some poop on it and then there's a chemical that gets put on it. Either it's built into the card or there's a dropper and it turns blue if there's blood in the stool. That's a guaiac card. Let's, let's move past that one though. Tip number 19. This one's a really big one. I, ah, man, this might be my favorite one this week is get your patients in a gown. I hate, it is a personal pet peeve when I go into the room as an attending and I'm in a, in a mad hurry and the patient has shoulder pain or something and they have like a T-shirt on with a hoodie over it. And then there's a jacket on top of that and they're wearing like a scarf and the scarf cloth is like hanging over the injured shoulder too. And their, their purse is pinning the scarf over the injured shoulder. You just – you can't you, – you see this all the time. You just can't do a good exam if the patient is dressed like that. And so if you want to make your attendings love you, here's how I would do this. I would take advantage of this. Plus it's good patient care, but take the initiative, help the patient get dressed out before your exam, get them into a gown or get the the important area exposed. It's great patient care. And then when you give your presentation and it's time for your exam, you say your vitals and then you say, quote, I got the patient into a gown and just go right into your exam. Just slide it right on in there. Because again, as an attending, it just shows me that you're thorough, that you didn't cut corners and that you can get it done. Get that patient into a gown, sneak it into your presentation real quick. Don't, don't look for like a a sign of approval. Just sneak it in sub. You want it to subconsciously slide through your attending's brain space and they'll just kind of like you more. Like I'm confident, like I I swear that's going to work. The classic cases where this is really important is any musculoskeletal complaint, basically. So they're like a fall with hip pain, get that hip exposed. Uh, Big, big one is kind of like the low speed, non-trauma alert motor vehicle accidents. And they're complaining like their neck and their back and their toe and their arm hurts. They're, They're low acuity, so they don't just get like, gowned up automatically. They actually almost can end up in hall beds and stuff, but you need to get those areas thoroughly exposed and you need to palpate them and examine it thoroughly. That's good patient care. So help them get changed. A feet is a big one. Lower extremity complaints need a quick foot exam, especially in diabetics. So expose those exam areas and tell your attendings that you did that without them realizing that you just told them that you did that. Just sneak it into your presentation. It'll pay dividends. And then the last tip for this week. I like this one too. This is a way you can really help out. Tip number 20 is bring that ultrasound to the bedside. Some of you are great at ultrasound, and if you independently grabbed some relevant images and had them saved to the machine because you know how, like, that's amazing. Like, that's really amazing. But it's, it's not required. It is okay if you haven't fully developed that skill set before residency. But for relevant complaints, you will improve patient care if you set up an ultrasound at the bedside and make sure that there's gel, make sure that there's towels, and just have everything kind of ready to go. And then when you give your presentation to your attending for one of those relevant complaints and you don't need to do this with every case, say, quote, oh, and I set up the ultrasound in the room if you think we need to do, you know, an aortic ultrasound for this. And it's OK if you say, I don't really know how yet, but I think it might be indicated as my understanding. I'd love to learn how. Perfect. I mean, that's perfect. You're like the world's freaking best medical student if you do that because it demonstrates, again, independent initiative, you're helping out, and it just goes right alongside good patient care and just a great understanding that you need to at least recognize the stuff that needs to get done. So I think your most high yield, bring the ultrasound to the bedside and, and, and let your attending know that it's ready to go, is you know trying to get a few shots of the abdominal aorta in patients over 50 with back pain, flank pain, syncope, you'll look like a rock star. I think that the other area this gets utilized a lot is in patients with hypotension. Now, generally, you have a patient that's hypotensive. You're just going and grabbing your attending if, if you walk into the room and their blood pressure is 65 over 30 or whatever, right? We talked about this. Remember our terminology from... A few episodes ago, walk out of the room and say, Hey, Dr. X, I might be overreacting, but this patient seemed kind of sick to me because X, their blood pressure is low. I wanted to let you know, I still need to go back and complete the rest of my history and exam though. I just wanted to communicate that still seems like it might be an interesting case. Obviously, is it all right if I go and keep examining them and talking to them? And then when you walk back, just grab that ultrasound machine and bring it with you to the bedside with some towels. And I'm telling you, you're going to look good. You're going to look good. Those are five tips that I think will really help you with your exam, specific things that you can do that would be really impressive if a med student took the initiative to do the, those things, that those are tips 16 through 20. Recheck that heart rate and eyeball that respiratory rate. Do thorough exams of whatever body area is, you know, related to the chief complaint. That's probably the most important one, especially neuro, especially things like hand exams, back exams. Those are the ones that people frequently miss. Consider, just consider independently doing a rectal exam or grabbing a stool sample and some of those specific scenarios we mentioned and i know i am kind of going back and forth on whether or not i should have said this because i don't want you to get over eager and do this inappropriately because it could backfire but elderly syncope acute anemia without a source abdominal pain complaining of dark colored stools rectal bleeding I, I i it's just it's required and i think if you are able to explain why it needed to be done which should be clear in those scenarios to me it, it's just going to make you look really solid just don't get too carried away with this one obviously Gown up your patients and sneakily just let your attendings know that you did. Just slide it, like not even a full sentence in your presentation. Say it quietly. I got him into a gown and then vital signs. And then uh, the last thing is bring that ultrasound to the bedside. It's going to make you look like a doc star. I hope these are working out for you and that you are enjoying these tips. I hope you are doing well. I care about you. You have so much potential as emergency medicine clinicians. Uh, until next week, we're going to do some more of these, keep working hard, keep studying and be sure to enjoy your shift.